So I um, initially asked Bethany McIntosh to come and share with you gals, and she's been so sweet and flexible with us this evening. And um, Bethany has a God story, and her story is different even from these. And and yet um, I asked her to come and share with you what the Lord has placed on her heart. And um, and I, I love Bethany. She's been with us before. Anna, she's one of my good friends. So I want you to welcome Bethany McIntosh. All right. So, yes, I'm here to share my God story with you. Um, I'm here to share uh, a little bit about who I was and who I am today because of Jesus. And in fact, scratch that, it's, I am still that person apart from Christ. No matter, um, no matter how long I've been walking, if I turn away from Jesus, I am, I am right back where I started. I am that person still. And so tonight, I pray that what I um, share with you tonight would be evidence of his grace, evidence of his love, evidence of his power to change our lives. Why don't you bow with me and pray? Lord, I thank you for this evening, Father. I thank you that uh, from the beginning of time you knew that we were going to be here. And each one of these ladies was going to walk through the door, and you knew their burdens and their baggage and their story. You know what they're struggling with, what they just uh, had victory over. God, you know them intimately. And I ask, Father, that tonight um, you would continue to be faithful and stir within their hearts what you want them to know about you. Not necessarily what you want them to know about me, but what you want them to know about you and what you can do in their lives, God. You're a great and mighty God, and we ask that you would show off here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just like all the other girls that, um, that started, I grew up in a Christian home. And, um, and I was born and raised in this Christian awesome home. Uh, my mom and dad loved me. They loved each other. What I saw, um, I found security and my identity. I, I, I experienced love, um, and I loved my brothers most of the time. Um, but there was just like, you know, we, that, that was my people. And we have a big Italian family as well. I mean, we just had lots and lots of love. And so, um, but like most teenagers, I feel like for myself, I started walking away from the Lord in high school. Um, I wasn't uh, involved with a youth group at all. Um, I went to school, I went to church on Sundays. And then when I started going to high school, I was in sports and I had all the practices and blah, blah, blah. So I started walking away from Jesus in high school. And and as I entered into college, my mom and dad got a divorce. Um, my my mom caught my dad in an affair, and uh, and it destroyed me. Um, I was a daddy's girl, and I mean I still am, but I was a daddy's girl, and I thought the world of my father, and um, and 
I was devastated. I was hurt. I was torn. Um, I, I realize now uh, that I had placed more faith in my mom and dad. My mom and dad's marriage, their love, our family, the bond we had. I placed more faith in them than I did my own God, who I believed in. Um, and uh, that's when you you realize, or, or I knew that because I was rocked so much. I was rocked so much when that was destroyed. Um, I didn't know... I didn't know what to put my faith in anymore. I, I was hurt. Um, I really thought that I had a beaver cleaver family. I mean, there was per, it was perfect. And I even prided myself on that. I had, I had friends that were, um, that were going through divorces and stuff, and, and I was like, my mom and dad are still together. And now, like, I didn't even have that. And it just, are there people here that don't know who beaver cleaver is? <laughs> just dawned on me. Hmm. Okay, maybe. Um, But I was hurt, and I was robbed, and I was broken and angry, and my father chose her instead of us. And uh, that's a lot for for anybody to feel like you've been rejected and and someone else was chosen instead of you. Um, And so by nature... I'm a sensation seeker. I love thrills, and I love the high of lives. I love, I'm enthusiastic. I'm a risk taker. And, uh, and so I dove head on into the, a partying life. I wanted to escape all of those fears and, and pain of abandonment and, um, and rejection and, uh, and lies. I felt like we were living a lie. Uh, and I just started, I wanted to escape all that, and I dove into a life of drugs, raves, and sex, like that was my life. At this point, I think I was around 20, 21, something like that. Uh, I remember distinctly in my mom's, um, in my house, before she kicked me out, um, that she wanted, that the Lord wants me hot or cold, right? And he spits out those that are lukewarm, and I remember distinctly telling the Lord, God, I know that you want me hot or cold, and I am not ready to live for you or with you. I don't want any, like, bad trips when I'm out there. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want the shame. And so right now, I just can't do it, and I'm out of there. I remember it, and I, I can't believe I had the audacity at that moment to say that to Almighty God. Um, but in all of my pride, I turned my back from him. And... He, he was the very one that could help me. But for some reason, it didn't, I, it didn't click for me. I, was, I just turned my back on him. And so for four years, I went out and I did my thing. I, did, I was just crazy. I was totally into crystal meth. Um, I was a daily, all-day user of that. Um, and LSD, and I was losing my mind. I, um, but... Those emotions, my experience, chased me, right? They don't go away. You run from your problems, and they're, like, always, like, right there. Like, like a dog's tail, they are chasing you. Um, and so then you just start using more, and you party more. Um, and because of all these drugs, especially crystal meth, my, my heart became so calloused. I... Um, I cut off ties with anybody who tr- 
truly cared for me. Anybody who represented Christ in any way uh, were not in my life anymore. Um, I could not cry. I did not feel. I did not care. I was incapable of loving anybody or receiving any love from anybody that was healthy. Um, I was so calloused. I was that 103-pound tweaker that you see flipping out on the side of the road, and you, and you, just, are, like, you just feel so sorry for her. And that was me. One day, um, one day, my dad moved out of his apartment. This is after he moved out of our house. He moved into an apartment, and then he moved into a bigger apartment. And he overpaid his stay at this apartment and told me that, you know, if I wanted it, you know, just have fun. Um, that's what I did. I had fun there. And um, the next morning, I uh, was making donuts. And I was heating up the oil, and, um, and the oil got too hot. It caught on fire, and it started burning up, um, up to the ceiling, like big flames. And so I grabbed that uh, pot of burning oil, and I put it in the sink, and I doused it with water. And it uh, created a mushroom cloud. Like, like, like an atomic bomb, but very small, um, a, and a mushroom cloud, it engulfed my face, blew me up against the back wall, and it went towards the sliders that were locked, and it blew them off onto the balcony. I didn't know what was happening for a while because I was in shock, but um, I had a lot of melting off flesh here and this side of my face. And um, God's hand of protection was on me. And you'd think that I would have come to my senses, but I didn't. I rejected God. It was, it was, I see it now that it was like Pharaoh, that stiff neck. Like, like you see the hand of God, like Pharaoh saw oh, crazy things happen. Like only God things can happen. And, and I knew that God like had his hand of protection on me, but I rejected him completely. Not too long after that, I OD'd at a club in, um, in Irvine on a drug that the hospital never even heard of. And I woke up in the hospital getting my stomach pumped. Three days later, I was back doing the same thing. I totally saw God's hand of protection on me, but I rejected him. I had that stiff neck. I had that calloused heart. Um... I think it was in 2009 or 1996. Am I dating myself now? <laughs> um, I was in New York City and I was living with a boyfriend of mine um, there. And uh, we had a fight one night. And I don't remember the fight. The next morning, I woke up and the house was disarray. And the um, he was in jail. I had uh, bruises bruises all over my neck. The uh, telephone was not in the wall anymore. The, the coffee maker was broken in the living room. Uh, things were really, really bad. And my neighbor had to inform me that, you know, what, what happened. And they called the cops and this and that. And so I remember that morning just so tired. Just so tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of striving and and running but getting nowhere. 
um, of, of doing things with no fruit, with no, nothing that was satisfying, nothing that I, I can call it like I accomplished anything, nothing that I was proud of. And so um, I remember um, going for a walk. I wanted to call my mom. And so I went for a walk down the street because I'd use a payphone. And uh, they had payphones back then. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so I was walking to the payphone and I sat down on the curb trying to gather my thoughts because I was not feeling very well that morning. And uh, I remember breaking down, breaking down in the gutter. And instead of rejecting my God, I completely submitted to him. I submitted to his love. I submitted to the hound of heaven, like, oh, right already, third time's a charm with me. And um, I gave him permission. I gave him permission to enter and to do whatever it was that he wanted to do. I was so spun. I don't even, I mean, I didn't even know where to begin. I once knew God, uh, but I was out of my mind. So um, I called my mom and and she said, come home. Just come home. And for the first time, um, I felt Jesus. Her arms were wide, wide open. I didn't have to explain anything. She didn't ask me any questions. She didn't have, you know, well, this is what you have to do in order to come home. No. She said, come. Come home. The four years that I was out doing my thing, it felt like 40 at that time. I was so tired of living like that. And I identified so much with the prodigal son and just how he came to his senses. That I came to my senses on the curb. And I am so grateful that the Lord was persistent with me. And we need to be persistent with those we know that are struggling. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe someone here has a child that is out there doing their thing. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. Don't give up. I know that it was the prayers of my mom and my dad. Uh, regardless of their walks with the Lord, I know I was on so many prayer chains and any, I don't even know, Catholic Church too. I don't even know. But my mom and my dad were like calling people like she's crazy and she's out there. And people were praying for me. And I know it was because of those prayers that brought me home. I moved home from New York, and um, my friends that lived there um, gave me a welcoming home party. And I started partying again. Like, immediately. I was up for three days continuously, and um, my friends, we were in the car, and they were giving me a ride home. But this time, I had accepted Jesus. Like, this time I had renewed my love for him. And um, just like Michelle was saying, like, once you have aligned your heart with God, he's like, not my girl, right? He is, like, up at bat. And, um, and, he's tell- and he told me, in my crazy mind, so no matter how crazy you are, God's voice can get through, right? No matter where you are in outer space, God's voice is there too, right? Psalm 139 says, I make my, you know, go to the heavens or down into the depths of the earth. Like, you're there. How do you do that? 
He's there. And so he went to the depths of my soul into my mind, and he said, you need to tell your friends before you get out of this car that you have accepted me, that I am your Lord, and you cannot do this anymore. And so as we got closer and closer to my, my home, like God's, the weight of his elephants, like were on my heart. And they got heavier and heavier and heavier, and he's like, do it now around this turn. I'm like, nope, this turn, nope, this turn, nope. And so he, we pulled up into the driveway, and, um, and I said, listen, I, I need to tell you something. When I was in New York, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ, and I can no longer party with you. And my friends, because they loved me, they said, you got to give it up. We understand. And they were faithful and they didn't call me when they partied. 20 days later, they got in a car accident because they were partying and they died. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I would be in that car if I hadn't said something before I got out of the car. So when I got home, and, and after I said, laid them to rest, um, I picked up the Bible and I started reading. And I went to church every single night of the week at Calvary Costa Mesa because I didn't know what else to do. And I, and I was going to beauty school, and I was reading my Bible, and that is all. That is all. Because the spun head that I had had to unspin, and this was the only, only cure. And so I started, not in John, but I started in Ezekiel. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I, and then it talks about all these, the, the, all the heads and the eyeballs and the wings, and it's like right up my alley, and I was like, yeah! <laughs> God is awesome. <laughs> so, um, so I got all the way from Ezekiel 1. Now, I, now I'm in Ezekiel 36, and for the first time I hear his voice. And it comes on me like, like that, like that, that uh, elephant on my chest. And I get to Ezekiel 6, verse 24. It's, it says, For I will take you from an, among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. And here the Lord was ministering to my heart that I had given my heart and my soul and my body to all sorts of people all over the nation. And he was going to bring me and gather me back and bring me back to my home and make me complete. In verse 25 it says, And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. Ladies, I was a dirty, dirty bird. Yuck. Filthy rag. And on every level you can ever think of. And only God's clean water was able to clean me. No shower, um, you know, uh, things that made me feel good at that point, sitting in church with all these godly people, my, my, you know, whether it be my mom or dad who was walking with the Lord now at this time. I mean, I can't be clean because of them. God's clean water had to sprinkle on me, and he said he'd do that for me, and it made sense. 
Verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And Ladies, I had a heart of stone. It was rock hard. I didn't care about anybody or anything incapable of crying. In fact, when, I, when and if I did cry, it, they, it smelled like crystal meth. That's how bad it was. And so he promised me to take that calloused, rock-hard heart out and give me a heart of flesh, one that's moldable, one that's pliable, one that could be shaped, one that could feel, have compassion, that can give love and return love, one that can hurt again, one that can you know, experience life as he intended it to be. But he was going to be the one that had to take that out and put a new one in. And that's like major surgery. So it wasn't easy. But he did it. And then verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And at that point, I had so many bad habits, the bad, a bad way of seeing things and perceiving things and uh, all of that. I didn't want to walk in God's statutes. I didn't want to be obedient. I, I, I knew it was a good idea, and I better, because I didn't want to go back. But I didn't know how. I didn't want to. I didn't have the drive. And without God's spirit, we're not going to. We're not going to want to. So I realized that the Lord was going to give me his spirit, and I had it, but it was the Holy Spirit within me that caused me to want to do this. And so I'm learning who this Holy Spirit was. I knew who Jesus was, and I knew who God the Father was, but this Holy Spirit, oh, got it. And so I kept reading and reading and reading, and so I went from Ezekiel on through the Old Testament and went, and finally I made it to Acts, where like the Holy Spirit action was, and I got to... Um, Acts 1 8, and it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be a witness unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That power that the Holy Spirit gives us is dunamis power, it is dynamite power, it is explosive, and it can like do anything, right? And this power. When it is upon us, we can do this. For the first time, I realized that this was my mission. This is my calling. And today, the mission still, it is the same. The calling is still the same. I knew that I was supposed to be a witness unto Jesus. And that's it. And the Holy Spirit was going to make it happen. He was going to be the one that is like would get all the glory. It was because of him. And I'll go wherever, whenever, for, for whoever. And I, I didn't quite exactly know how or what that looked like. But here, I knew but that was, that was my calling, and I knew. And so I got a, you know, chapters over, and I got to um, chapter 26, verse 16 says, But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of both the things which you have seen and of the things which I have yet to reveal to you. And like I said, I was sitting in my house 
or at Calvary Costa Mesa, and all I did was read my Bible, and that is a very good thing, and it is all I could handle at that point. But here, God said, get up. It is time to get up and do something. Do something with all that stuff now. You have now unspun enough to to now go and wring all that stuff you sponged up and give it to other people. Get on your feet. It's not going to happen sitting in the pews. It's not going to happen sitting on the couch or in your amazing little nook that I love to have, you know, set a little reading area. It's not going to happen there. And I hate talking on the phone. So... And then, if you drop to verse 18, it says, and this is what you're going to do. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and they, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an, inher- and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And that is exactly what my calling is even today. I know what the darkness looks like. I know now what the light is. The power of Satan was alive and well in my life. It, this is his playground. And, but you see, God's power is stronger. He already has victory. But I know that there are thousands of people that need to know this. And I'm called to shed light on that, to tell them my God's story, to let them know that they can receive forgiveness of sin and they have an inheritance that lasts forever. You don't have to share it with anybody. It is, it is ours. And so from there, I was on, I was on fire. I, and I got my haircutting license and I started cutting hair. And once that cape went on, they're not going anywhere, right? So, you know. So, it was so fun. From there, Ephesians 3.20 became my anthem. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And I started imagining big. And, um, and so, from cutting hair, my, um, the Lord had me move down to San Diego. I met my husband. We got married, had kids, took over a church, bought a house. Um, I was experiencing so much blessing. A love like I've never known. A wholeness. An identity. What we were talking about. This identity. It was full. I needed nothing else but Jesus. And he was so gracious. I mean, he was this dad just spoiling me like crazy. Um, but, like Michelle said, the life of a Christ follower is not full of rainbows, right? It is um, not a tearless, fearless, superpower fantasy land. Um, and since then, God has revealed so much to me um, about me, about him, um, but often through tears and often through suffering and brokenness. There is a cost of being a disciple. If you want to be a disciple, those are the people who followed closely after Jesus. If you want to follow Christ from afar, it might not cost you as much. 
But if you want to be a disciple, a close follower of Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Um, Over the years, my husband and I have been married for um, 17 and a half years. And um, we lost a child. We were betrayed. We went to... um, we went to South Korea, came back, and our, um, the church we were that he was pastoring um, was sold. And um, we had to shut down our schools at our church. We had to move our church to another location. Now we have church at a hotel. I mean, these are all really tough, tough things. Um, we found out in 2016 that one of our kids who had battled depression for you know, off and on throughout his whole life, um, he was cutting as well. And, um, and it scared me to death. Um, I had already lost a son and I didn't think I could do it again. Um, I was scared for him to recognize the depth of his depression, his Um, not being able to connect with anybody, not having an outlet, not feeling loved or connected. And then you think, what did I do wrong? What what did, was there something that I could have done better? And I want to fix it, but I had no idea. I didn't know anything about cutting, self-harm. I do know now that one in five females cut. I know one in seven males cut. They usually start around 14 and they go until in like their early 20s. And I look at my kids' friends now and I start counting. You count five and you know one of them is cutting, those girls. You count seven of the boys and you think, I wonder who it is. Those are statistics. Um, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what to do. I am an isolator. If, if I, um, I just want to be, I just run. I want to run and I want to scream. That's all I wanted to do. Uh, and I talked to a friend that morning. A friend called me, Kathy. And uh, she's like, I think I want to pray for you. And I'm like, <laughs> just crying, crying. And you know uh, when things like that happen, you know they have a word. And so um, she started praying. And one thing stuck out to me in her prayer was that the battle belongs to the Lord. This is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle going on for our children, for our, for our souls, their souls. And, and, I, and I love uh, on flight itineraries, they tell you how many souls are on board. Sometimes we lose, we lose sight of them. Each one of us is a soul, not just a life. It's a soul. And Satan wants our souls. And it's a battle. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And so as parents, um, we got to fight this battle on our knees. Um, And I need to love him through this. Love him like never before. Love him with a love. I had to learn how to love him in a way that I had never loved him before. Uh, the day after I found that out, we were going on a family vacation with my husband's family and all of his brothers and sisters and all of their friend, all of their family. And so we had like 
I don't know, 700 of us going. Um, and um, it was tough to um, be on this uh, vacation with all of this in my mind. And, um, and I got there unpacked, and there was a reading nook. It. Okay, there was a reading nook, and it was this, like, you know, a chase lounge chair, whatever. And I started, I opened my Bible, and what was next, reading in the Word, was Job. And I am telling you, I, I have heard, and I know a lot of times people are like, oh, don't read Job, you know, then you'll suffer. And, um, you know, uh, and so I opened the book of Job, and I have never been comforted as much as that vacation. And it was this awesome getaway with me, God, and Job. And it was so intimate and so exciting. And I can look back and I learned so much. And so I'm going to just share with you just a few things that I learned. Um, and, And it is for those of you moms that might have prodigals or have... Um, children that might be suffering, um, or you as the sufferer as well. Okay, suffering is not biased. It knows no bounds. Race, age, gender, continent, good, bad, rich, poor, a Christ follower or not, you could be doing everything right or you'd be everything wrong. It doesn't matter. Suffering knows no bounds, and it is never a good time for suffering. It is never convenient. Like, this is not a good time. You know, like, of course it's not a good time. You know? Uh, Job, he was honest inside and out, a man of his word, totally devoted to God, hated evil, and he was a man of influence. And he was struck with suffering. The Sabians attacked him, bolts of lightning struck him, or his family. Uh, Chaldeans raided, tornadoes, tr- tornadoes swept through, leaving him devastated, stripped in agony and alone with his wife, right? And so, I mean, just, and before we go on, you just have to like take it in, like you just have to sit there and think what would that feel like if all of your kids in one fail swoop, swoop was gone, all of your livestock, all of your all of your, it's almost like his whole identity because he had so much. It was all stripped. He was gone. Talking about losing a job, I mean, he lost his livelihood, everything. And he was alone with that wife. And, um, <laughs> and, the, so, and the second thing I learned, Job worshipped. Job chose to worship in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Worship is a choice. We choose to do it whenever we want to. Oftentimes, we choose to do it on Sunday mornings about 10 o'clock, right? Maybe Tuesday nights around 6.30. Like, we choose to do it then. Maybe we choose to do it when we're in the, when we're in the car. We worship the Lord. But do we choose to worship God when something terrible just knocks you on your butt? Do we choose to worship? 
We worship because he is worthy, not because we feel like it. And oftentimes, sometimes I even sit in church, and I'm like, I'm not singing that part of that song. It's so silly. I do not. There was one part of a worship song. Oh, I feel like dancing. No, I don't feel like dancing. I am not going to sing that part of that song. And I just get so, like, sassy. And, you know, um, it is not about what we feel. It is about who God is and what, uh, what he is deserving of, what he is worthy of. He is wor- worthy of all of our praise. It's a sacrifice of praise sometimes. Believe me, I have sang and I have worshipped and I have praised him and it didn't start out feeling all into it. But by the end, he inhabits the praises of his people. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, we need to realize that suffering calls our lives into question, not God's. Over and over and over again, people come um, into the church and they ask for counseling and they are like, you know, raising their fist at God, like, what is going on? I thought you were a loving God, a God of compassion. How could you let this happen? We shouldn't have to examine God. This isn't, uh, this isn't a test for him. We need to examine our own life. It calls our lives into question. Um, we should be worshiping instead of criticizing him, judging him. You see, if, I am, if something awful happens in my life and I choose to worship I cannot worship God Almighty and criticize him at the same time, right? But if I'm criticizing him, there's no way I can come in to worship him either. So we need to choose to worship. Um, In Job 3, uh, I think at the end of Job 3, um, Job says, The worst of my fears have come true. What I have dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered. My peace is destroyed. No rest for me ever. Death has invaded my life. And I don't need a show of hands, but has anyone been there? Has, have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're feeling like that right now. Maybe you know somebody who does. As I read my journal from last it was 2016, um, I thought I was not going to be able to survive the day. Like I just, hyperventilating, like I just, I had anxiety, I couldn't, I couldn't function, I just didn't know what to do. But one day turned into two, and turned into three. And yes, my worst fears have come um, to be realized but I'm still standing, right? Just like these girls over here. I'm still standing, and I still am a worshiper, no matter what has happened in my life. And now there are moments in my, my life that I was not a worshiper. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not gonna, because I, you know, I just didn't feel like it, or I was mad, or whatever. But, you know, by God's grace, he works that into my heart. We have to be willing, though. Um... 
our circumstance does not change who God is or what he's worthy of. Okay. The third thing that I learned from Job, um, that Job was accurate and honest with God. In chapter 6, he is pouring out his heart before the Lord, and he is truthful and honest. He's saying that he wants to die. God, will you just step on me, squash me like a bug? Like, he's just ready. He's done, right? He even questions, like, I I cursed the day that I was even born. And I know my son has said that quite a few times. Um, He wants to die. And he's pouring out his heart, well, now before his friends and before God, Uh, not all of a sudden. He's pouring out his heart before his God because he always has. So we, um, just like Sarah was saying, that, that intimate prayer that we can have, should have, would be beneficial if we do, it is a habit that we should be in. We should have a habit of pouring out our prayers before the Lord. Because when we um, are faced with our biggest fear, or when we are faced with depression or something bad, terrible happens, we can pour it out. We are not, we are not created to contain it all. We are not control, created to contain all that hurt, all that pain, all that fear. We need to vent it out, get it out before the Lord, and be truthful, be accurate, be, be honest before God. Um, if we are accurate and honest with the Lord, we have a better chance of being accurate and honest with other people. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what's going on. What is your heart? No one can read your mind. Sometimes I wish I could just read minds because obviously something's going on and you're not saying anything. You know, you're fine, whatever. You know, I just want to read their mind, but we can't. And so, yes, we can pray because God knows, right? We need to pray. But if you are struggling, if you're a mom and struggling, you know, like, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Um, Robin Williams said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. Ouch. Like, that's, that stinks. But the person that's fe- having lonely feelings needs to say something, too. It is a two-way. Relationship is a two-way street. And we have relationship with God. So be accurate and honest with the Lord. Um, The fourth thing, is it the last thing? No. Okay. (laughs) Um, The fourth thing uh, is intellect without intimacy. Um, So here, Job is just pouring his heart out before the Lord, pouring his heart out before his friends, and his friends are like hammering him. And oftentimes, I I read through Job, and what they have to say is like right on, like, like truth, truth. But they were forgetting God's heart, the his heart. 
So if, if you're delivering this message and you forget the heart of God, which is love, the message is not going to be received. It's, it's not going to be received. And so here Job is now telling his friends, you pretend to tell me what's wrong with my life, but you treat my word of anguish as so much hot air. Are people mere things to you? Are friends just items of profit and loss? And so he's like calling them on it. And so I, was lear- I learned as I was reading through this that I can't approach my son and say, it says right here that you need to do this. And then, got it? Okay. We're good. Now do it. That is not how it works. Um, a friend of mine, Kathy Dickinson, wrote a book called Taming the Giants. And she takes the giants of uh, the emotions in our lives that tend to get giant and out of hand and they don't behave and her whole concept in this book is that um, that some of those emotions we're going to have forever and we might not be able to slay them but we could tame them and make them behave and be, get down to a size where they're supposed to be um, fear sometimes is very appropriate and it's a, a red flag for, like, fight or flight, you know. And, and we have, so we have these emotions, but are, are they appropriate in our lives? And so, um, and, but one thing in the depression, when she's discussing depression, um, you know, she said, be careful of slapping, slapping um, scripture on people and expecting them to, like, to change their lives. Because God has to do a work in them. And like many of the people that you have heard, it's a process. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. So be patient. Be patient. God is teaching me to be patient. And he's given me patience. He's giving me, um, you know, uh, different eyes, a different, like, letting go, like, of my child and giving him back to the Lord. Like, I want to control it all. But God's in control, which is even better than me being in control. Um, oftentimes, I found myself provoking my child with scripture. Like, I had all the right intentions. All the right intentions, right heart. But it provoked him even more. So the Lord is just still teaching me how to deal with him. He no longer cuts. We, that was a, it was a short-lived uh, period of time. Um, but I could tell he still, I feel as though he may have a, a struggle with depression forever. And, um, but he's doing good right now. So praise the Lord. Um, by, uh, by the 32nd chapter of Job, this is the third round with these friends. I, I I box. So it's the third round. And they are, (laughs) and you you can almost hear the bell. Ding, ding. Right? And they're going in, and they are contending with Job. Job is not the enemy. They are contending with their friend. That word contend means to struggle in opposition, to strive in rivalry, to strive in debate. And oh my goodness, I found myself right there with my child, contending with him back and forth, back and forth. He's not going to say, oh, mother, you are such a good, you know, 
example of Jesus, I think I might follow after him now. No, I, I, I need to represent him well, and I know that there were times that I did not represent Jesus well. I was in contention with him. Um, I bet you at this point, round three with them, that they had forgotten why they were even there in the first place. And I'm hoping they were there to console him, to encourage him, to help Job. But now it became like a slicer and dicer of words, of truth, of scripture, whatever it might be. Um, So we have to be careful with that. I think, so the fifth thing I learned from Job is that Job searched for hope. In um, chapter 16, verses 18 through 22, and this is from the message, so it is kind of not the New King James, Um, but it gives the heart of what this scripture was saying. And so this is Job. It says, there must be someone, capital S, in heaven who knows the truth about me. In highest heaven, some attorney, capital A, who can clear my name. My champion, capital C, my friend, capital F. While I am weeping my eyes out before God, I appeal to the one, capital O, who represents mortals before God as a neighbor stands up for a neighbor. You see, Job, he was searching for hope. He was searching for Jesus. And our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Jesus is our hope everlasting, that living hope. That hope because Jesus has died, he conquered death, he conquered sin. This hope that we get through him and him alone, it will never die. The hope of my mom and dad being together and was shattered, like that hope's gone. That, that hope's gone. There has been all sorts of things in my life that I put my hope in. We're supposed to hope, hope all things, right? It's, it's okay to hope all, in, hope all things. But knowing that those things might not work out. But there is one hope that is sure, and that is the living hope of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, 19 says, This hope we have is an anchor of, of the soul, and that is Jesus um, and the sixth thing I learned from Job is that through suffering, he got firsthand knowledge of who God Almighty was. It, it seems like a difficult road, and I don't know if we all would be like, okay, sign me up right here. I'll totally take that road of suffering just to know God. I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, some of the things that some of you have had to endure, I don't know how you're, you're still standing. It, it's by the grace of God. <coughs> um, but at the very end of Job, in Job 42, um, Job says, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. And so here he sees that he knows he's gone through this suffering. But yet he has come face to face with God. In this life, you will have tribulation. And um, I was, you know, singing that deep cries out to deep, cries out to deep, 
And I always often like, what in the world is deep? I don't know. I guess that's like foggy out there, um, kind of mysterious. Like, it's God's invitation to come deep with him, deep into his love, deep into um, all that grace that he has, deep into himself. And oftentimes the road there is suffering. Um, with every storm that comes into our life or trial that comes in, it, it, it almost, you know, kind of just takes you deeper and deeper and deeper with the Lord. New things are revealed about him. New things are revealed about yourself. Correction takes place. Uh, just new eyes, just um, seeing the world, new, new, a new heart, compassion, a love, birth. I mean, it's just like that grain has to go in the earth and die before it brings life with a seedling, right? Like, um, that happens throughout our whole time, throughout living with the Lord, like just, uh, just that suffering. Um, God is near to the brokenhearted. And when we are suffering, we identify with Christ's suffering. We can't help but not think of Jesus on that cross. And once I have seen him on that cross, once I have seen God, once I have been in, in once I have encountered him, everything changes. The things that I, how I see, um, how I go about things. He arranges, rearranges my heart. He changes me, my perspective, my priorities. He helps me let go. He let, he helps me bow down, humble myself, completely, um, completely submitted to him. And I found this one, um, quote I'll share with you. It says, perhaps the greatest mystery on suffering is how it can bring a person into the presence of God. In a state of worship, full of wonder, love, and praise. But not all get there. And I, I know I have been able to do that. Going through suffering and then bring brought into his presence, right? And I want that so badly for my son, for you, anyone who might be suffering right now. But I, have, I can't control that. And I know not everybody does get there. But when these people do get there, their lives are often transformed, deepened, marked with beauty and holiness in remarkable ways that could never have been anticipated before the suffering. I am a different person because of the suffering that I have um, you know, encountered. There was one thing that ministered to my heart when, I was, um, when we were grieving um, Ryder, our son. And, uh, you know, everybody gave us books and cards, and they all, you know, there's only so many verses in the Bible that talk about death and comfort, you know. And they all probably said the same thing. Um, but one stood out to me. And it was from a woman in our church who had lost a child as well. And I read it. It was a little pamphlet by uh, J. Vernon McGee. And I forgot what it's called. The Loss of a Child, I think. Um, and 
in the very end of the book, it brought me so much comfort. He was talking about how God had reached down into the fold of our family flock, and he picked up one of our sheep and placed him on his neck and brought him to heaven. And that is a sure way to get mama sheep to heaven for sure, is because I am like this. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. And so it anchors, it anchors us to him. Um, the gratitude, I feel, is an anchor to what the Lord has done in my life. Um, and I know many of you might need that renewed anchor, that renewed closeness with the Lord. And so I'm going to um, have you bow for a word of prayer Lord God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for each and every woman that's here. Lord, you know the seasons that we're in. You know the things that we're all going through. And I am not assuming that everybody here is going through a trial. But I know one's coming. And I ask, Father, that you would be with each and every lady here as they're there. God, I just think of Peter keeping his eyes on you as he's walking on the waters, that storm is, and those waves and that wind is blowing. Lord, he was fine as long as he kept his eyes on you. Jesus, I pray that these ladies here, that you would be their focal point. If any of you ladies are here tonight and you are struggling either with depression or with fear, or just living in sin, and you want to give it up, tonight is the night. Today, right now, is the night. I'd like you to raise your hand. God bless you. There's many of you. You can put your hands down. You just confessing that you need Jesus is all is all that need, is needed. He sees your hand. He sees your heart. He sees your submission. And he's going to fill you with that grace. He's going to fill you with power. God, I ask that these ladies that um, are suffering, Father, I ask that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. That dudamus power that can get them off of their feet and rise and go do your will. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would release them from the bondage of their sin, that they may be held captive in God. I pray that you would throw Satan to the curb with his clutches in them, God, feeding them lies keeping them down, underwater, drowning, unable to hear, see, function. Father, I pray that you would um, pick up Satan and throw him, cast him away. He has no part in light. 
And I need to ask if there's anybody here that does not know Christ, that needs to 100% just know that, that Jesus is your Savior. And you know you need him. You have never given your life to the Lord. Raise your hand. Praise God. Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hand down. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice if you and all of the angels, God, that the sweet sister here is surrendering wholeheartedly to you. I pray that right now she would know without a shadow of a doubt that she is a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything is new. Lord, she might not know what those new things are, but God, I pray that you would just show your faithfulness to her and surround her with people that would help her navigate through this life as a Christ follower, God. We rejoice. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your grace, for your mercy, for being that hound of heaven. I thank you that she too will have this God story to tell that would minister and motivate other people, God. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, and I pray that you would continue to inhabit the praises of your people here tonight. And anybody that needs prayer, God, I pray that you would put a tickle in their heart. Get them off their chair and ask for prayer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.